Hey, hey, this is Brian Benstock, General Manager and Vice President of Paragon Honda and Paragon Acura. And this is the Brian Benstock Show, where we talk about how the future is going to be frictionless as we think the unthinkable in the future of retailing. Tune in to hear how today's top retailers are leveraging the disruption that is occurring everywhere and turning that very disruption into a competitive advantage. Hold on tight. It's going to be a fun ride. Today, uh, hi, Brian Benstock, and we are here with the one and only Bill Woodich. Uh, Bill, you were the ultimate rebel without a cause. I've read about your story. I've got about 30 people sitting outside my office that wish they were in the office talking to you. Uh, in fact, um, I had to lock the door so they don't interrupt us. Tell us your story. Well, you know, you started from nowhere, and now you're in uh, what, Laguna Beach, California. Right. No, I don't know if I can get my head in the screen now because you made it bigger than it actually is. So, and that's pretty big, by the way. You know, I always say that, right, it's a long way from where I grew up, and that's Kane, Pennsylvania. A long way. It's a town of about 3,400 people, 2,800 during the winter. So everybody would, it was like a, almost like a Russian winter if you could envision the snow and people digging their way out. And there were very, what I say, low ceilings of expectation. Where, where, where the expectation was just survive into your teens. And if you were in the top of your class, maybe you could go to college. Everyone else went to work in a factory. Yeah, well, yeah. I, you know, I grew up in a very authoritarian, uh, disciplinarian household with a father who was a state policeman and, and a mother who was a nurse. So I had some compassion. Then I had the ass-kicking part of discipline. And I just turned into a rebel. My father went into uh, alcoholism and was mostly absent. And I turned into a rebel. I always say it's a rebel without a clue. Grew my hair, smoked cigarettes, drank beer, went to work in a factory. And I think this is about success because it, it ties in important. It's important for me. The most people, you know, they know what they fear, but they really don't know what they want. Going to work in that factory scared me straight. Eight hours a day, punching holes in wood. That's all I did. Yeah. You know, eight hours, punching in, punch out, walking in the snow. Every day I thought this is the rest of my life. So I would encourage your listeners to do this or your viewers. Play it forward. Think about your life now. Find that fear because you've got to be intimate with your fear. You not only have to know what you fear, but then you have to know with clarity what it is you really want. You, you've got to know that. That's, how, that's the start of the journey. When you've got a fear, you know, what, what do you do with that fear? I, I had a similar story. I worked in a factory. I thought the way to make money was to uh, have three jobs. And, and I worked at a, a twist drill factory from midnight till eight o'clock in the morning because you could get a time, a shift differential, a couple of extra dollars. And when they were interviewing me, they were very, very concerned. Would you be able to put in the work? And I, and I was able to, but I was driving home one day from work at eight o'clock in the morning and I was falling asleep as I was driving home and a state trooper stood out in the middle of the road signaling me to pull over. And I almost ran him over. He thought I was, you know, he thought I was drinking, but I hadn't been drinking. I just hadn't slept in two and a half or three days. You were drinking coffee. Yeah, that's exactly right. And I realized that's, that's not the way to go with this. Um, you, you talk about, uh, I, I thought a compelling part of your story is you talk about always advancing. And mm -hmm. it's ironic because my grandfather, my Puerto Rican grandfather, wrote my grandmother, my mother's yearbook, uh, Adelante, Siempre Adelante, which is advance, always advance. Talk to us about that philosophy. Well, first of all, I love that. And then I want you to send that back to me in, the, in, in Spanish so I can copy it and take it. Probably going to put that out on Twitter, but I will give you credit. Uh, okay. I think if you think about life, you think about life, the species only supports those that go forward. 
you know, we are either evolving, we're adapting, or we're dying. There is no sitting or staying still. We think that by being still that we can just maintain. There's a comfort. We think we can protect. We can't. The only way we can protect what we have and to grow and to survive is to go forward, is to move forward. That is the only way. Agreed. You know, we're sitting on planet Earth. The planet Earth is spinning at 1,000 miles an hour. So if you're standing still, in theory, you're, you're, you're 1,000 miles an hour behind. And I think that's a, that is absolutely spot on. Right. We, we had the privilege of going to uh, Google out in California, Mountain View. And, mm. and, and when you realize that they've got uh, hundreds of these type campuses all around the globe, working on solutions to problems we don't even know that we have. You right. ask yourself, how do you compete with these guys? They're not stopped 24 hours a day, some of the brightest minds working on this. And, and if you're sitting in your business and you're not working on that 24 hours a day, I think you're in deep, uh, deep trouble. Yeah, you're right. You're, you're right. And, and if you're not working on your business, you're distracted by things that will take you out of business. And so for me, you're talking about disruptors now, correct? Absolutely. When I was young, a long, long time ago, and starting out. I was still young. <laughs> thank you. Younger. Starting out a long, long time ago. Back when we're starting to date each other off air about songs. Well, this is back when the Rolling Stones were young. And the Rolling and, Stones are my favorite, man. You know, that's my band, man. Start me up. And I knew that. Tell me Dice is my favorite, though. But I knew, I knew that there was one thing that I could connect with. And if machines, this is what I thought at the time, if machines start doing this business, then I am out of business. Until that time, when there is still one, two, three, four people that will listen, I have a shot. Because everything is people. There are still people who will buy from people. It's not all driven by that technology. There are people who want to shake hands. There are people who want to see who they're doing business with. There will always be a home for us who believe that it is people who make those decisions. Hey, when machines take us out and everything goes that way, we're gone. You know, I think, I, I think it's very true, but a lot of the salespeople today aren't true salespeople. And mm -hmm. those are the ones that can be replaced by technology. They're not offering the value. They don't have a connection uh, with people. But the challenge I have is how can we prepare for a world that doesn't yet exist? And I think in, in your business and in my business, that's what we're faced with. Yeah. I'm working with a, 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 my partner's grandson, Julian, and he's a great young man. And I can teach him the automobile business as well as probably any person on the planet. However, the difficulty is in teaching him and training him for the business as it will be in the future. So that's a big question mark. You know, I always say prepare for the, un for the unexpected. People don't know what that means, but, uh, but I'll give you this part. It, there is no plan that I have when I make it up in my conference room and export that to a client's boardroom that ever stays perfect and intact. It always changes. Here's the thing, right? Think about the word sales. Think about the word sales. And then think about the word enrollment. See, enrollment with people comes from the heart and mind of people. It comes from taking a genuine effing interest in another person. And when I buy cars, I'm not buying cars. I'm buying the experience and I'm buying the salesperson who's not selling me as much as he's enrolling me. He's telling me this might not be good, not pushing me into a price. And then he calls me on my birthday. He's calling me on Christmas. And I, and let me tell you a good story. This is real quick. It's a good story. I think you'll, you'll, your people will love this. I started buying BMWs, 750IL, back when it first came out. So I just wanted another 750IL in about three or four years, right? Yeah. Drove up, 
said, this is the car I want. The salesperson said, no, no, you have to drive it first. I said, I already have the car. This is what I want. Now, in any business, ours, yours, this is when you just shut up because you got the sale. You shut up. In my business, when they say you have the order, thank you. Shake how, quickly you how quickly can you write? Yeah. So let me tell you, what, and let me play this one forward. Let me tell you what happened. Small things. She said, let me get this off the lot and you have to drive it. And she was a, a pretty attractive salesperson. So I said, okay. You know what she did? She hit the bumper on the way out, down to the bumper of the car. She gets out, looks and said, uh, it's a quick buff job. Yeah, she yeah. comes out and says, no, it's about uh, $2,000. Mm -hmm. That day, I went over to Mercedes and I have never looked back. I was just going to say, how do you like your Benz? And I didn't know you bought a Benz, but that's what happens. It's, well, it's I, I bought a Benz and uh, that, that's my business car. And I have just kept uh, moving down that road with the same salesperson I've had 15 years ago. So that's just the flow of human connection, people, and shut up when you have to sell. I like the word enrollment. I think that that's a better word than selling. Enrollment, uh, you know, you're a volunteer. And people have to understand you can enroll yourself out of that program too. Hey, talk to us about your business. What, what, how's your business going? What, what, what exactly is going on with your, your insurance? Um, you have my synapses firing. So it's the same thing with your business. It's um, find a way, make a way. If people want you to win, if they want to buy from you, they will. If they don't, they won't. They'll find the price. They'll find the event. They'll find the person or they'll find the thing they want. If they want to buy from you, they will, and they'll make a way or find a way. And that has everything to do with enrollment of heart and mind and being genuine and being transparent, really living transparency, not just freaking saying it. That's the key. In our business, the great thing about it is this. We're in the property casualty business, one of my companies, and it's a, it's a regional firm that does business on an international level. Great thing is people have to buy what we sell. They have to buy it. They got to buy it once a year. And in California, because of workers' compensation, it's a big ticket. So as a broker, we're getting a percentage of premium that our clients, generally big contractors, truckers, are paying to the insurance companies. So we're managing their account from a risk standpoint. We're placing that account from a negotiation standpoint. And we're getting paid 10 to 15% for that honor. Bill, how do you differentiate yourself from, you know, uh, uh, insurance can be generic. How do you differentiate yourself from the other competitors? I say, I'm Bill Woodich and you're not. Yeah, okay. But, well. No, I was, I was talking to a sales guy in the break room before the, sh before the show, and he said, how, how do you differentiate yourself when everybody out there is saying the same thing? I said, the first thing you do is address the obvious. Tell them, I know everyone's saying the same thing. I'm not going to tell you we're going to be any different because I don't know what it is that you need what it is you really want, what it is and what you have in your losses or your history of what you've had. So I want to ask this question, the most important question I've ever asked people. I know less about insurance than anybody in here. I always have. But I knew one thing. If a person knew that I cared about them, then they may open their brain up to say, okay, now let me see if he, what he knows. I would say this, where are you from? Just like I asked you, you know, we, hey, what about that cup? What about that background? Where are you from? Because here's what it does. We're so stuck in the base of our brain on instinct that we don't know when we show up. It's, it's are you a friend? Are you a foe? Are you a, trying to take something from us? <sighs> do we fight? Do we freeze? What do we do? And so we're not listening. We're just, and everybody shows up the same way and people shut you down. You got to show up different because you are different. Have a conversation and not look at their wallet. Look at their heart and maybe say this and you won't believe this. Maybe I'm not the right guy for you. 
99% of the time, they'll start pulling me back. Whoa, wait, 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 maybe, maybe you are. So I'll tell them what I'm not. We're not the biggest in the world. We're not the biggest in the nation. We don't do widgets well, and we don't make cars. And the guy will say, well, isn't this where you're supposed to tell me what? Now he's listening. Mm -hmm. So I'm always going to be transparent. Tell him where I blank it up. Tell him sometimes I do. But I got a client list behind me with testimonials, what they write about me. Never ask for one. You read those, you'll be my client. If you don't, you won't. How, how did you get involved in that business and how long ago? <laughs> well, after the factory. All right. My, my parents said to me, we're going to give you one shot. You F this one up. You're done because it's all you've been doing. All you want to do is chase women, smoke cigarettes, drink beer. I thought that was the meaning of life. Right? I'm two out of three of those back in the day. Yeah, I got you. I, I thought it was the meaning of life. Yeah. So, <laughs> so they gave me a chance to go to college. I had to learn how to learn. Uh, I went to two schools, went to Purdue, then I went to Penn State for my master's. And when I got out, I thought my ego was so big. I went to school to be a manager. The world owes me a living. Uh, I found out they didn't owe me a living. My mother gave me a suit. It was brown, corduroy. The car was the brown oxidized station wagon with no hubcaps. And my brother said, you need to get a job. I said, okay, I'm going to be a manager. He said, just go get a job. Go to management recruiters then, and they'll place you as a manager. The guy kicked me out of his office and said, you'll never be a salesperson. I said, well, I came here to be a manager. Another person uh, took me in. Her name was Holly Emerson. She said, you need to go into sales. I said, I do not want to sell. Bottom line is I got a job at Liberty Mutual, became their top salesperson in two years in the country, and they got recruited by a big company in California, sixth largest in the world, became their top producer in sales out of 6,000 people for two years in a row. And then I said, it's time for me to see how good I really am. And here I am. <laughs> Bill, what did you do to learn to sell? Was it, was it a key manager that, that mentored you, or, or did you, was that that inner drive that caused you to go out and seek the answers to questions you had? Well, there's a great question right there. There's, a, there's two questions. There's two statements in there. One is the inner drive. I think the great ones are inspired. There's no, there's no material thing that they associate themselves with. There's no goal line. And I think the other ones are motivated. For the most part, motivation has a goal line. I want the car. I want the house. I want the money. At a certain point, you kind of run out of steam on motivation because you get satisfied. Everybody does. Inspiration, man, you're dangerous. You want to change the industry. You, want, you, you just want to see how good you really are. You keep putting it out there. I think that's the key. And, you know, when, they, when Liberty Mutual sent me to training classes, I effed everything up. I went 0 for 13. Lost my first 13 sales attempts on a script. Open probe. Close. Hot, what to ask. It confused the heck out of me. When I left that shit in the car, walked up to people, met people as people, I started winning. Started, I started winning. I started listening. I didn't want to talk as much. Can't believe that, can you? And that's why I started winning. <laughs> we're not in the people. We're not in the car business. We're in the people business, and I think that's really key. Whatever business you're in, it's all it about. Us. You know, what we say we are. We say we're a customer service firm disguised as an insurance brokerage. That's it. It's about people. Unless you're serving people, you're done. What would your message be to young salesmen and women today looking to get, you know, find themselves? What, what would your message to them be? Well, there's seven, there's seven key tips I write in my book, and I'm not promoing the book with this, but, and the proceeds, by the way, go to the Intrepid Fallen Heroes Fund. It serves the U.S. military. But you've heard 10X today. Before 10X, there was my activity rules success. I got that in 1986 from a small ruler in my desk. A uh, former sales rep was fired from the company. And I, that was to me the meaning of success. It said activity rules success. So I just had a blank load of activity. I went to my ears were cauliflowered from the phone. 
Activity is number one. If you don't have a lot of activity, man, it's a numbers game in sales. It doesn't matter. It's a numbers game. It truly is. I think, you know, you look at some of the young brokers that had to start out back in the day before electronic trading. A friend of mine, Mark, had to make 250 sales calls before his broker got in at 9.30 in the morning. 250 yeah. calls before 9.30 in the morning. That was every day. He was a killer on the phone. He started working for me selling cars. He thought it was so easy because the people walking in actually wanted to buy the products he was selling. Yeah. But when he was cold calling people at 8 o'clock in the morning, trying to sell them appointments or stock over the phone to set up his broker, man, that's a lot of work. And I think the message today for salespeople, that they're sometimes embarrassed to say that they sell. And yet you look at everybody from the president of the United States uh, to, to, to Mahatma Gandhi, everybody is selling. They're selling, whether it be their idea, their product, or the, their thoughts, their vision. That's what it's all about. There is no payroll that can be met unless something is first sold. And I'll give you a book. It's by Daniel Pink, and it's Everyone Sells. Whether you're asking your wife out on the date, whether you're dressing for the next job, whether you're trying to impress somebody with this, whether you who takes the kids this weekend, man, you're selling all the time. You better believe it. I mean, I mean, look at Elon Musk, right? I mean, he's got a Tesla, and I'm a, I'm a big fan of Mr. Musk. Uh, but what, what is he doing? He's the ultimate salesperson. I think he just sold the federal government on building that train set up underground from New York to, uh, to Washington, D.C. Uh, digging around L.A. too, by the way. It, it's, uh, it's unbelievable. I mean, the, the nerd, I mean and, and, and his company, Tesla, is yet to make a dollar. I don't think SpaceX has made a dollar yet either, but what an incredible salesperson. If you have his phone number, give it to me because he needs to buy insurance on that next rocket. Right? Yeah. He didn't have uh -huh. and, and he's got to drive there, but I think he's got the driving situation worked out. So uh, <laughs> You may have more money than God, but you still got to buy insurance, okay? Yeah. You got a better you got a better shot at him than I do. Hey, I don't know. question: How is how is technology impacting what you do? Well, what it's done, it's made the information field very very symmetrical. You see, before we had this this knowledge that no one else had. It was insurance, and no one understood the way that read or what it was. Now you can get up online, punch in what the insurance thing does. You can know as much about insurance as I do just by reading stuff online. So it became from asymmetrical, it became now very symmetrical where the only difference is this. Who are they going to buy it from? That's the variable. Here's the thing. In our business, it's pretty close to yours. In ours, they have to buy it. Yours is an option, but they have to buy it. They got to buy it once a year, but here's the big variable. From whom do they buy? So if they can get the information, who are they buying it from? And what are they buying? They want the personal touch. They want, you no, know, they have a person who's going to take care of their interests. They want to know that if you don't perform, hey, you know, should you be paid? And I put my fee at risk. I tell them if I don't do these things, fire me, I'll put it on fee, and I'll give you your money back. It, that's a strong one, man, but it works. Bill, what you're talking about is an efficient market, an efficient market where the buyer and the seller have the same information. And, and it goes back to what you talked about before, transparency. So now the differentiator is going to be the experience that we provide for the clients. And, you know, in, in, uh, you said uh, our product is optional, uh, uh, an automobile. You know, I'm going to have a little bit of a disagreement with you. Everybody needs transportation. But yeah. what's happening is consumers are consuming transportation differently today. Uber, yeah. Lyft, and some of these other uh, car services are coming in and disrupting everything. So we've got to make sure that we're still relevant to our customers. And I think that's uh, very analogous to what you were talking about. Also, the information's never been more transparent for customers as far as knowing what the dealer paid for the car, knowing where they can get the car online. Just type in a couple of keywords and you can have all the information that you used to have to visit multiple stores. Uh, has it affected your margins uh, at all? 
Yeah, yeah. I'll say how. But first of all, I want to clarify that we talked about New York and, you know, people don't have cars anymore. So that's, that's where I was going with that. It's kind of like London. It's like everybody's in a cab. You know, you can't drive in the city. It's like 35 pounds just to park your car or something like that. Yeah, it has affected our margins because in the past there was a, there's a saying, you know, pigs get fat, hogs get slaughtered. Well, there were a lot of gratuitous or excess commissions that brokers charged, a lot of fees that they charged. And when the client really can dig in and see, this is how much I'm paying for this product, which people rarely ever did. And this is what I'm getting. This is the product. Um, wait a minute. There's a little bit of a disconnect between the value that I perceive and the value I realize. You got to come to grips with doing what's fair for your customer, keeping your activity high, getting more customers and being very effective as much as efficient. That's the key. We're, we're finding by taking out the friction, the friction is where the expense is also, the, but the friction was where the margin was. But as you take out the friction, you should be able to do more business, which will offset the margin compression that's going on everywhere. The internet is the great equalizer. You know, uh, male, female, black, white, smart, not so smart. You type in a keyword into Google, a Google search, you're going to get the information in front of you that makes you make better decisions. And I think ultimately that's a benefit to us. It gives us broader markets, larger markets to reach. Yeah, I love the word friction. And I'll also tell you this in our model. And I think that friction is kind of, um, with me, a mental dissonance with a person when you say to them, this is what I'm not. I don't want to sell you this. And if it doesn't work, you don't have to pay for it. They could, because in their mind, they expect something totally different. So there's a friction that sets up an interest. But I think another thing that you said that's very important is this. Th think about a conference room or think about a level playing field, if there ever was such a thing. Your people are the linchpin of your success. You need to have people who believe and act this way. If they're in that conference room with all your competitors, they're the ones that walk out with the deal. And that self-belief and confidence, people are going to buy the messenger before they ever listen to your message. You come across with wet palms, you come across with a bad handshake, you come across as trying to take something from somebody, trying to sell up, trying to upsell them. Man, they smell that shit. You're gone. They smell fear, desperation, and greed. Fear, desperation, and greed. They smell it and you're, you're dead. I, and I think a lot of salespeople make the uh, mistake of thinking they're smarter than their customers. Customers will never be more educated than they are today. Be right. Just be honest. They've got the information. They're going to test you several different ways to see if you're being honest. Yep. Bill, what are you working on now? What's your next big project? Well, I, I, honesty is disarming. And with honesty right now, I am on the phone with McGraw-Hill for a, the second book uh, to see if I can work out a publishing deal with them. I do a lot of talks across the nation. I do talks for, for companies like Mass Mutual, a lot of financial institutions, a lot of talks on sales and leadership. I love being out there speaking. It's a dirty secret. I hate insurance. I always have. But it's always been about people. So I'm doing that book, uh, doing some TV. That, that's set up. Uh, I do radio, and I do my own show, The Unstoppables, by the way, which is uh, we're going to have you on pretty soon. I, lo I love Unstoppable. I mean, Relentless Unstoppable. You've met Tim Grover, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, he's just a, you know, really a fantastic guy. Um, sort of an a, a introspective question for you. Yep. What, what advice would you give the 19-year-old version of Bill Wittich? What, what advice would you today, if, you, if you're walking down a path and you recognize the person in front of you as, as you, but when you were 19 years old, and you put your arm on uh, that person's shoulder that is you at 19, what advice would you give that 19-year-old young man? Well, don't smoke. So I quit smoking about three years after that. But, but here's the thing. 
is that you want to look at your life as you know it now, and you want to live it without regret. And why you regret, I mean this, uh, doing or not doing those things that you can do at this stage of life, learning those things, finding mentors at 19 that can make, that can help you move forward. And I call it the park bench of regret. I play it forward. I never want to be on that park bench at 95 years old thinking, I wish I could have, or I wish I would have. I don't want that form of regret. So live your life without regrets. Be as responsible as possible. Find mentors that can help you move forward and cut those people out of your life who can't. Second side of that, the 19-year-old you runs into you today. What advice would that 19-year-old you give you today? Man, that, can I ride in your Ferrari? That's cool. How'd you get that? Uh, <laughs> what would the 19-year-old tell me? Yeah, what could the 19-year-old teach you? Say, you know what? He would say, he would say, man, he, said, he would say, you know what? When you got a vitality and vibrancy like you're 19, what is it you're doing? What are you drinking? But, but what I can learn from him is the possibility of youth. Yeah. You know, he would tell me to keep the possibilities open because, you know, so many times in our life, the experiences we accumulate become, become what we are now because we let the good and the bad permeate, we tend to hang on to the bad. So you've got to be able to open the possibility of people without prejudicing that person by their look or limiting that person by you think, ah, I've dealt with this buyer before. Uh, you know, in our business, the worst sin is this. People, the salespeople will say, I've dealt with that kind of buyer before. So he's back. they already foreclosed that possibility because they're too jaded. He would tell me, don't be as jaded, man. Look out there and treat people as people and be the optimist you were at 19. That's, you know, because at 19, what you ask, your ask is unlimited when you're 19. You want all the things you have today. Uh, and sometimes we get a little bit older and our ask becomes compartmentalized and smaller and smaller. Great point. Great point. One, one final question. What do you want to be known for? You're reading your obituary. And what do you want that to look like? What, what was Bill Rich known for? I want to be that person that, that kept open that, that spark of possibility and mentored, teached, uh, assisted others on their journey forward so they can make a better life for themselves. Uh, that's what I want on my tombstone is I want to leave that behind where I'm redundant. They may not remember me, but they remember the teaching and the teaching enabled them to create lifestyle options for themselves and their family that extended beyond where they could have been previously. Bill, you're unstoppable. You're doing just that. It's a pleasure and a privilege to talk with you. And hopefully we can have you here at Paragon so you can talk to the staff that's outside watching this live. Hey, let me come out there. I'm much more animated in person. And by, by the way, I love your TV stuff. I want to try to catch up to you on TV, Fox and all the stuff you're doing. You look great on there. Thank you very much, Bill. Great talking to you. Be well. Take care, buddy. Bye-bye.